Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. More than a few good men. More than a few good men. You ever see the movie A Few Good, good Men? Uh, you can't handle the truth. Can you handle the truth? We're going to get into the truth, but he wants more than a few good men. He wants a lot of good men, many good men. Can you say amen to that? All right. Well, it's just first of all, preaching a Father's Day message, just like preaching a Mother's Day message, is a difficult thing for any preacher. Why? Because there are many scenarios that out there in a congregation such as our side that makes it difficult. You've got individuals that lost, let's say, their father. Uh, you've got those that have lost a child. You've got situations where maybe there's an abusive situation within the home with the father. Or maybe you've got children that are very re rebellious and that sort of thing. As a matter of fact, within the last six months, I've lost both my mother and my father. My father on February the 6th of this year. So it's my first year without my dad here. Um, and it's kind of weird to go into the Youngstown area and not realize, realize it. It's their home still there, but they're not there. But you know what? They are home. They're in glory. And I thank God for that. You know, my dad was a very hard worker, very hard worker. Um, worked two jobs just to take care of his family. Um, and I thank God for that. But the most important thing he ever did for me in my life was to lead me to Christ. You've heard me say oftentimes he scared me into the kingdom with the book of Revelation. He gave me a graphic picture of what's going to take place when Jesus comes in the clouds of glory and the graves are open and everybody in their vehicles, they'll be gone, cars will be going crazy, trains will be going off the tracks, airplanes will be flying and then all of a sudden coming down because the pilot was saved. You might want, you might want to ask the person if he's saved before you get on that plane. <laughs> but he scared me into the kingdom is what I'm saying and, and I thank him for that. I thank God for that more than anything else. So for me, it's, it's one thing. I, I know that he lived to be 89 years old. He's in glory. And I thank God for that. I'll see him on the other side at some point. But for someone like my wife, Krista, she lost her father when she was 11 years old. And he was age 50 uh, at that time due to cancer. But thank God, he was led to the Lord. I led him to the Lord, as a matter of fact, in the hospital room. I'll never forget that event that took place because it was memorable to me long before I knew I would ever be married to his daughter but um, I walked into his hospital room and posed the questions like I always do and he was very receptive to receiving Christ as his savior but the thing is I've said many sinner prayers sinners prayers with many individuals even in a hospital room but there is something about that conversion to Christ that was very special it was one of those to where you could see it coming from the heart of the individual. You know the scripture says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the lordship of Jesus. Because you see, here was a man who before really didn't think much about those that were born again, kind of thought, you know, maybe we're holy rollers and all that. Because that's just what he knew. It was odd. Matter of fact, when my dad came to Christ, I thought he was a Jesus freak. I said it myself. We came out of a denominational background you know, that didn't hear anything about being born again or anything like that. And so I thought this man's gone off the deep end. But it took some time. And as time went on, I started to realize he was right. And I got born again. 
So her father at that particular point was at a point in his life that he realized it was true that what he thought before wasn't. And when he made his decision to accept Christ, I'm telling you that room filled up with the presence of God in a powerful way. It was almost one of those things you can see this was truly from the heart. A true conversion took place. Now, it doesn't have to be that way all the time. It's just a decision that a person makes. But as a result, you know, I know he's in glory. But that doesn't change the fact that she was, you know, denied her father for all those years. So we have different scenarios here. And that's what makes it difficult to really reach everybody where they're at in their situation and preach a message that could cover each and every case. Which is why, what do we do? We rely on the ministry of the Holy Spirit to take it and assimilate it and make it become vital in the lives of all the people that will hear. And so once again, that's where we're at. So Ezekiel chapter 22, and I want to share with you some prerequisites to becoming a good father. And it's going to be a different direction than I've come from in the past. But you'll see, I believe it's going to be impacting and very helpful to all of us, no matter who you are as an individual. In Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30, it says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge or build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. God is looking for a few good men. No, God is looking for more than a few good men to do what? Build up the wall, stand in the gap, take their place and do their part. Why? So that God's purposes can be realized here on planet earth so that his purposes can be fulfilled among us. He's still looking for more than a few good men to become good fathers. But what's the prerequisite? First of all, you've got to be a good man. A good man. You need function as a good man. You need to think like a good man. You need to work, live like a good man. And we can add all these adjectives to this that's a good man who ends up being a good husband who transitions into a good father why well because living like a good man gives place to living like a good husband gives place to living like a good father and that's where it starts it starts with the individual a decision that is made that that's how I'm going to live my life well how do we become a good man then good starting place well since you asked we'll get right into it first of all a good man is someone who has learned about his identity in God he finds his identity in God not in anyone else not in anything else and young people need to realize this as well those people that are out there in the sports world the music world and all that even in in drama and in, in movies and everything else they're not your role models that's not where you find your identity. You find your identity in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Your identity is found in God. Who you are and what you will become is found in God. And we'll share a little bit about that in a moment. But first, God said, let us make man in the image of Superman. LeBron James. John Unitas, Jerome Bettis. You didn't think I knew a stealer, did you? <laughs> I got it out. 
How about Jim Brown? You're looking at like you don't even know who Jim Brown is. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, God, God made us in his image after his likeness. And he said, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. That includes creeps that creep upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. Notice, in the image of God created him, he, him, male and female created he, them. Man is both male and female. And sometimes I say this humorously, but I know it's very true. When he took the rib out of uh, Adam and he brought forth or formed Eve and presented her to him as his wife, half his brain came out along with the rib. Because you see, God's image includes male and female. That's why men are left brain functional and women are right brain functional. So we both have half a brain. Then when you put them together, you got a whole brain. Think about that for a while. <laughs> and it's by design that he made us that way. Why? So that we would de be dependent upon each other. Sometimes I just kind of laugh when I sit back and I see some of these that are out there and no, no indictment against women at all, but, but they think God's a woman. You're only half right. The completed image of God is found in both male and female. We need to learn that. We need to understand that. But man's image is found in God. We've been made in the image of God. May he, them, male and female. And also in the likeness of God. So we could say it this way, that man is the only created being on this planet that was made in God's image and likeness. Well, if that's true, then what's his image? And what is he like? Well, we know this. God is a spirit. The Bible doesn't say God's a body. Jesus said, look, handle me. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like he did after his resurrection. You know what that tells me? He became a man eternally. You realize that. There's one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. That's who it is. But God is a spirit. And we are spirit beings. <clears throat> We're eternal spirit beings that will never cease to exist. But the point is, that's the image of God. This body just houses us and keeps us to the earth. It like, it anchors us down here on this planet. Otherwise, we'd be gone in a heartbeat. We've been made in God's image. We are a spirit being. We have a soul. We live in a body. The spirit and soul cannot be divided. They can be distinguished, but not divided. But the spirit and soul can be divided or separated from the body. And so we have to understand that's our image. That's who we are. We're only here on this earth to prove where we want to spend our eternal living. Now, what is God like? If we've been made in his likeness, what is God like? To become a good man, we have to understand our identity is found in God. We've been made in his image and likeness. Well, what is he like? Look in the book of Leviticus. <clears throat> in the book of Leviticus, chapter 11, verse 44. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves and you shall be holy. Why? For I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any matter of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And once again, that includes creeps. <clears throat> Don't hang out with creeps. What's he saying? His image, he's an eternal spirit being. His likeness, he's holy. He's holy. Remember Peter said, be holy for I am holy. 
God said to us? That's where he said it. So he's a holy God. We serve a holy God. And we're to sanctify ourselves, separate ourselves apart from the world to be a holy people. Secondly, look at 1 John. 1 John 4 and verse 8. What's his likeness? He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. The word knoweth there is not referring to a person not being born again. You know, you could be born again and not really know God. We can be born again and not really know him. We know him as Savior, but we, do we know him as love? God is love. Doesn't have love. He is love. So we know that these are two characteristics of God, and we've been created or recreated in his likeness and his image. We're eternal spirit beings, and we are a holy people, and we're to love. So in other words, God created man as his offspring, as a holy being motivated by love, so that he would serve the living God who created him, his creator. A man becomes a good man when he identifies that, recognizes that, and says, that's why I'm alive on this planet. To be a man who walks holy before God, who loves God, and as a result, worships him, serves him, honors him, and loves others as he loved us. So once again, man is... Made in his image and likeness. He's an eternal spirit being. He will never cease to exist. And where he spends his eternity will be determined by his belief, not his behavior. His belief, not his behavior. So to become a good man, identify with the fact that you and I were created in God's image and likeness. And we live for that purpose. Also, it's important to know that because of sin, man separated himself from God. God never separated himself from man. Man separated himself from God by making a decision to step beyond the boundaries that God established for his being on this planet. And so when he made that decision to step beyond those boundaries, like Lucifer did from the very beginning, he fell from the presence of God. He lost the holiness of God. He lost the love of God and for God. As a result, his life was given over to a reprobate mind you know what that means a mind devoid of judgment a mind that thinks wrong constantly or continuously as a matter of fact we see it in Genesis chapter 6 that it was so bad among men that what happened God had to destroy the world with a flood why because all the wickedness of man's heart the way he thought was wicked all the time and so God had to do something about that and what was that judgment came upon the earth look in Romans chapter 1 uh, verses 21 and 28 and it's important to understand this right now, men, at this hour. You know why? There's a lot of thinking out there that's so wrong and warped in our society today. Did you realize that? Man thinks he knows something. Let's read it first. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. In verse 28, and even as the as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Notice the word reprobate mind. A way of thinking that absolutely runs cross-grain with God's way of thinking. You remember that Isaiah says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts than your thoughts and my ways than your ways. Isn't that what he said? Well, Think about how much higher the heavens are than the earth. How far is the sun away from the earth? 93 million miles? That's nothing compared to the highest of the heavens. 
It goes in the light years away. So in other words, God's way of thinking is light years away from man's way of thinking. So why would we want to think the way we think when we can exchange the way we think for the way God thinks? In other words, live our lives as a man, as a woman, whatever, the way God thinks. Incorporate God's thinking into our way of thinking is what he's saying. Get your mind renewed to live your life the way he wants us to live. I shared this at our study on, on Friday. I thought it was pretty impacting. At least it was to me. And I know even though it came out of me, it still impacts me. Because I believe it's the Holy Ghost that's leading me. We think as men, we know something. We don't know anything. Okay? And I'll give you the challenge. Man comes up with this beautiful ship. It could be even the Titanic. Put the ship out there in the ocean. And man, watch that thing. Watch that baby go. Proud as a peacock. Just taking on its course. Its voyage to go to where it's going to go. He can build airplanes, rockets, and that, that sort of thing. And thinks he's so proud because he landed on the moon. He's so smart. Man, so smart. All the innovations we have in our society today, the internet and everything else, cell phones that you can do about anything on it, we're smart, right? Yeah. Well, when that boat, let's say any boat, this first big huge boat is out there on the ocean and it's just on its course and everybody's on the ship and they're so proud of the technology and all that's going on. And as it's going out there, maybe a little bit of rough waters or whatever, and next to them is Jesus standing on the water going. How about this? Then he gets on the boat or the ship. And you can see it in John 6, 21, somewhere around there. He gets on the boat. And the moment he gets on the boat, it's at the shore. Not just the people. The whole boat. Do you think he's smarter than we are? We're trying to navigate through the storm. We're trying to get through the storm. But Jesus walks over and just says, how are you guys doing over there? Uh, rough waters. I know. It's pretty tough out here too with me. He said, let me get on with you. Gets on the boat. And boom, it's over at the shore. Figure that one out. Then you're smart. Can you do that? Can we do that? What do we know? Not too much. Think about it. We don't. But yet we think we do. Now, God turned him over to a reprobate mind. Go ahead and think the way you want to think. Believe the way you want to believe. That's up to you. But I'm telling you right now, I've got some guidelines for you found right here in the word of God that reveals to you my plan for your life as a man, as a woman, as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mother. I've got a plan for you. And you know what? You're not, you're not going to just live in a short period of time on this earth. You are an eternal spirit being. And the decisions you make and the choices that you make to find your identity in him and live for that will determine what kind of uh, ex experience you have in glory. And of course, we want to be with him in glory. So a good man is one who finds his way back to God and recognizes that his identity is in God and he will live his life for God as an individual, as a man. Okay, secondly, he has learned to lean on God. This man who becomes a good father learns to lean on God. Proverbs 3, you know the verses 5 and 6, but let's read them. Trust in the Lord with half your heart. 
all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. You can see just how perilous that would be for us to lean on our own understanding. You know how many are leaning on their understanding right now? Oh, I've been to, I've done, in 40 years I've done so many funerals it's beyond calculation. And I've seen all kinds of different people with all kinds of different responses and comments directly to me even after doing a service like that. I'm not afraid of God. I'm not afraid to die. I've had people say that. I'm not afraid to die. You have no idea what you're talking about, sir. None whatsoever. Because when you come out of that body and you're on your way down to a place you don't want to be forever, you got another thought coming. Pharaoh laughed at Moses for following God and not following him and having all the wealth and riches of Egypt, right? Well, guess what? 2,000 years later, Moses is with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration with a smile from ear to ear and full of glory. And where's Pharaoh? Where's Pharaoh? Think about all that. Not too smart. Was he too smart, huh? Life is more than what we experience on this planet. Wealth, riches, and success, and fame, and fortune, and all that. No. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. We're on a course, like that ship is, on a path that's for our lives. And guess what? There's all kinds of challenges along the way. And he wants to steer us clear from all those challenges. But it's up to us to recognize the fact that only he has the answers. Only he knows the right way. The path of the righteous is as the shining light that becomes brighter and brighter more and more into the perfect day. And the temptation of the enemy is to do what? Steer us off of what God's course is for our lives. Get us taking a wrong path and wrong direction. Why? He wants to steal, to kill, and destroy. Ultimately, his goal is to send us into an eternal lake of fire with him. Because he knows that's his end. And he wants to bring as many as he can with him. And what does he use as a tool? Deception. To present his truth what is really a lie. Yeah, there's no heaven. There's no hell. Uh, what about that song by it was John Lennon? Imagine. There's no heaven. Eh, you're wrong. Imagine there's no hell. Once again, ditto. You're wrong. So let's not imagine it because it's a reality. So when it comes to leaning, who are we going to lean on? What we think? What someone else thinks? What a professor in college thinks who might be an atheist? Why? Because they know how some, they have some facts and they have some education. Like I just said, the greatest education is a fool in the sight of God. A fool says in his heart, there is no God. So you could have an education that trans. As far as it transcends everybody else's intelligence, you could be greater than an Einstein, but you're a fool if you say there is no God. Can you see that? So what are we going to lean on? Our own understanding or on what God says? When it comes to salvation, look at John 14, 6. Salvation. The, the, per, the person's out there that's a fool, he says, save from what? Well, number one, save from self. Save from ourselves. First thing Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, right? But look at this verse of scripture. You know it. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no man comes to the Father. There's a Father you're going to want to meet. You know, there may be some among us that never saw their father, never met their father. Maybe their, the wife was pregnant with the baby and they were off at war and got killed. They lost their lives. And many scenarios exist like that today. And they don't know who he is. 
Our Heavenly Father is awaiting our arrival. I guarantee you, He's longing for your arrival. For you to one day enter into His kingdom and just say, Abba, Father, I finally meet you face to face. When it comes to salvation, lean on what he says, not what people say, not what you think, not what I think, not even religion thinks. But remember what Jesus says. He's the only way, truth, and life. And no man comes to the Father except how? By him. Praise God. Only by him. And that's the bottom line. As a matter of fact, I wish there was time. Revelation chapter 5, it tells us all about John being in heaven and in the high place of heaven. He sees a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. Nobody's found worthy to take the book or to loose the seals thereof. And so he begins to weep and cry out. And the angel says, don't cry. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Look, those books are going to be opened. Those seals are going to be breaking, breaking open by one person. It's not Confucius. It's not Buddha. It's not Muhammad. You can name any other God you want to name, any other person. Krishna, moon, name them all. In heaven, earth, beneath the earth, in this sea, not one being is found worthy to loose the book or open the book and loose the seals thereof. But one. What's his name? Who else are you going to follow? Why is he worthy? Because he redeemed us to God by his blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. That means all the nations of the world, all the people groups of the world, he redeemed us. Look at um, um, James chapter 3. This is for wisdom. This man will lean on God for wisdom. Because why? The wisdom of this world is foolishness in the sight of God. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you're bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil kind of, every kind, evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, it's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and of the fruits of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So this person understands who he is in God. He understands that he has to lean on him because he's smarter than him. God's smarter than man. For salvation, he looks to him. For wisdom, he looks to him, not himself. Because why? We're bankrupt. No matter what we think we can accomplish or achieve, we're bankrupt when it comes to the abilities of God. Look at the next one. Powerful. When it comes to strength. Look in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 9, 23 and 24. Wonderful scriptures that we should take to heart. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom. Or the powerful boast in their, in their power or strength. Or the rich boast in their riches. Hey, look at me. I'm wise, I'm strong, I'm powerful. Can you see how pride is just goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall? Well, guess what? He goes on to say, this is what the Lord says. Don't let the, the wise, the, or the rich boast in the riches, but those who wish to boast, do you wish to boast? Should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates 
unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth and that I delight in these things, I, the Lord, have spoken. Why is he targeting those three things? Man's wisdom, man's strength, and man's wealth. Because that's what people live for. So many think that the smarter I get, the wiser I get. You know what? I'll be honest with you. The more I learn, the more I know I don't know. I'll tell you something else. You can be strong. You can be strong. But guess what? Authority trumps strength. You could be stronger than that policeman standing there in the corner. But I guarantee you, you might be stronger than him, but he has more authority than you. What's your strength against his authority? Try it. You'll find out. You ever see some of those shows where the crook thinks they're going to get away with it? But they always get caught, don't they? Why? They're not smart enough. They're not strong enough. And that's what Jeremiah is trying to say to us by the Spirit. That's what the Lord is actually saying to us. It doesn't matter how smart we are. It doesn't matter how strong we are or how wealthy we are. Your wealth can't buy your health. So don't boast in any of that. Boast in, I know God. I know his plan of salvation. I know his plan of redemption. I know him as a savior. I know him as a healer, a deliverer, a financier. I know him as a counselor and so on. Next, look at the Psalm 27 verse 1. We need strength. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? What a question to ask. If the Lord is the strength of our lives, then who can we fear? What do we need to be afraid of? Oh, thank God. He provides for us wisdom. He provides for us strength. And then look at this next one, provision. Look at Psalm 37. You talk about provision. I've been young and now I'm old. He hasn't learned to confess the truth. He should have said seasoned. But that's okay. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Remember what the disciples said, Lord, we didn't bring any bread. You're mad at us because we didn't bring any bread on the boat. We just got this little half a loaf here. And he says, I just fed how many thousands of people? 4,000 people. And how many baskets did you have left over? Oh, 12. And you think I'm concerned about that half a loaf of bread? I can turn that into a pizza in a heartbeat. Right? Okay. Look at Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your need, all your need, all your need according unto his riches and glory. Wouldn't you love to see those riches in glory by Christ Jesus? In glory, they walk on streets of gold. They use it for pavement, which we think is so valuable and so precious. They use for pavement. They walk on streets of gold. It's nothing to heaven. Andrew keeps asking me about his heavenly abode. What's it going to look like, Dad? I said, look, buddy, you were there, not me. You tell me what it's going to look like. <laughs> When's the trumpet going to sound? Oh, you have no idea. This is every day. You could ask, ask all of us. So he talks about every single day. He was glad the virus got him out of school, but now he doesn't like it anymore. <laughs> Number three, he has learned to love. 1 Corinthians 13, he has learned to love. This is a man who becomes a good father because he becomes a good husband because he's a good man. He thinks like a good man, acts like a good man, lives like a good man, and so on. Well, though I speak with the tongue of men and angels and have not charity, which is divine love, agape love, I am become as a sounding brass or as a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy 
and understand all mysteries and knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me what? Nothing. If love is not the motivating force, this is charity, divine love, agape love, behind all the activity of our lives, he says, it doesn't even benefit us to do it. And whatever it is that we do, it's just going to burn up if charity, charity was not the motivating force behind it. Remember, we talked about when we go to glory, the judgment seat of Christ, and anything we did that was, let's say, gold, silver, and precious stone, will pass the test of fire. But wood, hay, and stubble, what's going to happen to that? It's going to burn up. So he's saying that, look, a man understands the need to live in the realm of charity, which is divine love, the love of God. And let love be the motivating force of his life. He loves the Father, Mark 12, 30. Look at this verse. Once again, it's only an outline of how to become a good man. And, though thou, shalt, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. This is the first commandment. Why did he have to say all those things? Couldn't he just say love God? With all your heart, you've got to give him your heart your spirit. With all your soul, mind's renewed to the way he thinks so we can think the way he wants us to think. With all your mind means all the decisions that we make in this life as to honor him or dishonor him. With all your strength, your physical being, with your body as you live your life upon this earth, all the things that you allow through the body, crucifying the flesh or not. So he's talking about love him with every department of our being. That's what it means to become a good man. That I recognize the fact that I'm to set my love upon him in all dimensions of my being. Spirit, soul, and body. With all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. Next one. Love Jesus. This man loves Jesus. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. Let him be accursed. We need to love Jesus. We need to love the Father, and we need to love Jesus because he's the one that shed his blood for every single one of us. And thirdly, look at the next verse, John 16, 27, one of my favorite verses. For the Father himself loveth you because you have loved me and believe I came out from God. Why does the Father love you? Because you love me. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for what you've done for us. And we want to come that, become that for which you have apprehended us and gave your life for us. But look at the next one. He loves his wife his family. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and 26, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself forth that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. In the next verse, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth himself, his wife, loveth himself. So now we're talking about a love that passes from your love for God to your love to your spouse, uh, to your wife. So you're a husband now that's going to love her as he said two ways, as Christ loved the church, number one, and as he loves his own flesh, number two. And love, of course, means to seek the welfare or the well-being of the one you love. Their well-being. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 24. You're seeking the well-being of the one that you love. It's not just about feelings and emotions and affections and all that. We have that. We understand that. We're natural human beings. But it goes beyond that. Love is a decision and a principle more than a feeling and an emotion. Let me say that again. Love is a decision and a principle more than a feeling and an emotion. Doesn't matter how we feel, it matters what decisions that we make. And I'm making a decision to love somebody, let's say, for the rest of my life. The same thing with God. We love him, we're going to serve him for the rest of our lives. Look at this verse. This is from the New King James Version. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. So now, 
we're seeking the well-being of others. It starts with our wife and our children, and it goes right on down from there. Look at the church. The next one in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 3. This is Jesus speaking. He's speaking to the churches there in Asia Minor, the seven churches. He says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but, to li- but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know, to know what? What do you want them to know, Lord? That I have loved thee. He's talking to a church. Jesus loves the church. Jesus died for the church. The church is comprised of Jews and Gentiles that have accepted his sacrifice, his blood that was shed for them, and now they become born again, the church of the redeemed. And he's talking about them. I love the church. I gave my life for the church. You know what? The church should hold a special place in all of our lives. Why? Because Jesus loved the church. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And that's the church. And then what about our enemies? Are you ready for this one? A good man will also understand the need to love his enemies. Look at Matthew's gospel, chapter 5, 44 through 48. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Who's speaking here? Why are you so quiet this morning? Love your enemies. How, Lord? Bless them that curse you. Bless means speak well of. Curse means speak evil of. Anybody here ever speak evil of you? No. Anyone ever speak evil of you? Oh, only God knows, huh? Do good to them that hate you. Anybody hate you that you know of? Do good to them. Sure, the next thing you're going to do tomorrow morning is find someone that hates you and do a good thing for them. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Why, Lord? That you may be children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what thank have you? What reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. And if you salute only your brethren, then what do you do more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be therefore what? Mature. Even as your father which is in heaven is mature or perfect. Wow. Do we have a long way to go, saints? Do we? To be perfect, to be spiritually mature, loving our enemies in those ways? Wow. What a challenge. And finally, he has learned to lead. He has learned to lead. All right. Galatians chapter 5. He's learned to lead himself or his flesh into sanctification. That's what he's learned to lead. Number one. It's not starting with other people. This is a good man who has learned to do what? To lead his flesh into sanctification. Galatians 5 verses 16 and 17. King James. This I say then walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So that you can't do the things that you, sh- that you would. And go on down to verse 24. And they that are Christ. Are you Christ? What about the rest of you? Are you Christ? You belong to him? They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. They that are Christ. He learns to lead himself into sanctification. Why? Because his identity is found in God. Now, if not, the flesh will certainly get him into trouble. Secondly, he's family. He learns to lead his family. Look in the book of, uh, once again, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. And it says, 
For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. So he begins at that point doing what? Leading his wife. And that doesn't mean dictatorship. It means loving leadership. Into what? Everything that God said to do. And it begins there. And then it trickles down from there to the family. But look at First uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. What it says, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. I once heard it said or read about it where a woman is like silk, a man is like corduroy. This is not an insult to women. They're more valuable and precious, and also fragile, like silk. Doesn't take much to damage silk, does it? It's very fragile. But it's also expensive. But men, we men, we're like corduroy. Give it to us. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1, this is from the New Living Translation of the Bible. He's talking about a loving leadership, a guidance. But now here, children, obey your parents in the Lord because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well with you and you will have a long life on the earth. Now that sounds good, doesn't it? But then fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the, with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So you, as you can see, this good man has developed himself so that he could be the good husband who leads his wife and then his children. This is divine flow of power from Father, Son, Holy Ghost, husband, uh, father and it goes right on down to the children right through the family so he's, he's an individual that recognizes the need to lead his family into the things of God and then finally he also leads the fallen to Christ and sometimes I think this is left out that we forget or that we don't recognize this ministry that we all have and it's found in the book of Second um, Corinthians well, first of all, let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 22, and then we'll do 2 Corinthians. For as in Adam, how many die? How many die? Do we know that right now someone is dying and being lost to an eternity? Even so, in Christ shall all men be made alive. In Adam, they all die. In Christ, they live. The first Adam, they die. The second Adam, they live. Or the last Adam, they live. Okay. So, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we'll begin there. Every man is an ambassador for Christ. Every man has a mandate given by God. Every man on this planet has a responsibility to whoever you know in your circle of life to influence that person for Christ, to lead them down the right path. Therefore, if any man, if any man, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation, a new species that never before existed. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Would you say with me? I have a ministry of reconciliation. And what is that ministry? To wit means to make it known. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead. For he for be, be reconciled to God. For he made him... Christ to be sin for us all sinners who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him so what's he trying to communicate 
this leader, this individual, this good man is also a man who leads sinners to Christ. In every area of his life, he's always trying to lead in, in, these, in these different ways. But this good man eventually becomes a good husband and eventually becomes a good father. And then you know what? When he leaves this realm of life, he'll be one of those more than a few good men that God singles out and just says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of your Lord. You've, you've learned it. You've learned how to live life as a good man. You became a good husband and a good father. Now, is there perfection out there in these realms? Only in Christ. Do we all fall short? We know that we do. Is there blood to cleanse us from it all? Yes, there is. So gentlemen, let's be challenged this morning. Amen? Let's all stand together before our God.